you know, it was, it was do or die with that. And I remember when I heard the final mix, I remember saying to the band, this is probably number one or our career's over. There were so many aspects of the Smile album and the elements and, and all the things that made up the record that he just, uh, he had to, to just let it go. Because it came at a time when Brian was just really finding it difficult to stay focused. He wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it. It wasn't fulfilling him, it was painful. So uh, we made Smiley smile instead. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for tuning in. We have a fun episode today. David Beard's going to join me later to share his perspective on a recent drama between Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. We're also going to finish our discussion on good vibrations and explore a new Beach Boys conspiracy. But first, let's celebrate the news. Shout out to listener Kim Edwards and her husband Brant, who I met yesterday while they were in Nashville to see the Beach Boys at the Ryman Auditorium. So Kim reached out to me after hearing her friend Randy's email in the last episode and we were able to chat over adult beverages. Yes, coffee is an adult beverage. So my heart is full and I'm very inspired. Thank you for reaching out and thank you for taking the time, Kim. Uh, Recently there was some controversy over a performance scheduled by Mike Love's group, the Beach Boys, at a Safari Club International Convention in Reno, Nevada. Last week, Brian Wilson spoke out on social media and urged his supporters to sign a petition to end trophy hunting. This organization supports trophy hunting, which both Al and I are emphatically opposed to, Wilson wrote on Facebook. There's nothing we can do personally to stop the show, so please join us in signing the petition. Let's bring in David Beard from Endless Summer Quarterly. Thanks for joining us as always, David. So, hey. um, so take us through what happened here, because um, because uh, I was following it from a distance a little bit, but I saw that you wrote a, a pretty wordy um, article on it, and um, just uh, kind of take us through the facts here of what went down. Well, there was a petition, and I don't, and I. Uh, the guy's name is Eduardo, and I, his last name starts with a G, but we're just going to call him Eduardo. Um, he's in the UK. No one really knows much about Eduardo. And when I say no one, I'm talking about people in the Beach Boys world. Um, and when I'm using the word the Beach Boys, I'm not referring specifically to Mike Love and Bruce Johnson as a touring unit. I'm talking about the group that I know as the Beach Boys. So when I say the Beach Boys, I'm talking about Brian Wilson, Al Jardine, Mike Love, Bruce Johnston, David Marks, the Beach Boys. And I even, when I say their name, uh, am always, um, always uh, talking about the memory of and the contribution made by Dennis and Carl Wilson. So when I say that name, that's what it represents for me. Right. And um, so... What happened was, uh, and and I, as as my article stated, Eduardo must be in it because he's again, he he has a petition for banning trophy hunting. 
Um, I'm not a hunter. I, I fished as a kid, but I was never a hunter. Although my, my dad and my older brother hunted and <laughs> I have one horrible memory <laughs> that because they killed a squirrel, my mother made squirrel pie and it was just got awful. But that was the rule. If you hunted and killed something, you, that meant you were doing it because you were feeding a family. So that's kind of the way that I understand hunting. Um, so I, when this uh, came across my radar, which was, oh gosh, I guess right as February was starting, and someone had posted it to the Brian Wilson message board, it was a petition to ban trophy hunting. And because Donald Trump Jr. is a known trophy hunter and uh, was a keynote speaker for an event, a private uh, show and I, it's the Safari Club International something or other uh, convention, and um, so Donald Trump Jr. was a keynote speaker, and I guess because of what's going on with the Senate and the President, uh, this was a good platform for Eduardo to use because he, he probably figured, well, one plus one equals two. I've got this is the president's son. A lot of people are polarized by the president, so this this is this might this might gain traction. I'll see if it sticks, and it did. That petition that all of us signed, and I signed it because I'm against trophy hunting. The idea of going out and killing something, chopping off its head, and mounting it on your wall, not cool. So. It, so I signed that petition for that reason. Now, that same petition that I signed, along with everybody else, which was set up and worded online to stop the Beach Boys from performing at this Safari Club International Convention to ban trophy hunting. So the Beach Boys don't play, so then we can ban trophy hunting. Right? Mm-hmm. And in this particular case, it's Mike and Bruce, because th- that was the gig that was booked. So... Our names are now on that petition, and it's being directed to Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister. So this guy, Eduardo, had really no um, personal reason going into this that had anything to do with the Beach Boys. He didn't care if, if it was Brian Wilson, if it was Mike Love, didn't matter to him. His goal was to ban trophy hunting. And to raise money to ban trophy hunting. So he not only got people to sign it, but he also got people who are Brian supporters to give money. So the reality here is anybody who signed a petition because they're truly against the idea of this trophy hunting, the idea of doing that and don't support it. Good for you. Continue to get the word out there. If you thought this was a Brian Wilson against Mike Love thing... (laughs) And many did, because if you go to the Brian uh, Wilson message board, a lot of people are upset that their names are on this petition that is now being directed to the UK prime minister. Eduardo is happy as a clam, right? He got money from Brian Wilson fans, and he's got more names on his petition. And guess what? After he figures out maybe uh, the Safari Club International does another event, what's he going to do? He's going to rename the petition again and direct it at that particular event because that's what this guy's doing. So all of us, I don't know if we were duped, but we signed a petition that is against trophy hunting, to ban trophy hunting. It is not a petition to stop the Beach Boys. Now, the Beach Boys were playing that one show, that one event. Um, Would it have been... 
a good thing for him to uh, not do that show. Maybe. I, based on the way that everybody attacked him, probably. But Mike, um, Mike made a decision that he was not going to cancel that show. And so for better or worse, uh, and, and, you know, he, he's, Mike is a very independent thinker. And he is not someone, I can say this for fact, this is not my opinion about him, fact, is against trophy hunting. He's against hunting of any kind. He, he does eat fish from time to time, but he's primarily a vegetarian. Um, none of the guys have been in the trophy hunting. Now, I know Dennis hunted in addition to fish when he, you know, years ago, but I, I never got the impression that Dennis was a trophy hunter. So this is, you know, so what is the issue here? And it just boiled down to a scenario where, uh, as history has shown us, um, two things. One, that if you like Brian, you can't possibly like Mike, which, where I sit, is just hogwash. Well, I think uh, I appreciate your comments on it. And I think, you know, I try and stay out of any sort of animosity towards anyone on this show, because I'm always very much about um, good vibes and love and mercy towards everyone. And um, all of the Beach Boys have had their share of of, uh, missteps in their career and in their personal life. You know, you are in in a unique position because you have personal relationships with these guys. So, um, do you feel like that colors your um, commentary on, you know, the choices that either Mike or Brian makes um, one way or the other and um, gives you a unique perspective, good or bad? Mm. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a good question. Thank you for that. Uh, I do know Mike better than I know Brian in terms of interpersonal you know, interaction, you know, just interaction. I, when I was working on the article as an example, I, I, I found myself in the role of defending Mike and I took all of that out because first of all, I signed the petition. So if, if the beach, if the, if, if the defining beginning role here was, if you sign the petition, you're supporting Brian. Well, then there you go. But that's not why I signed the petition. I signed a petition to ban trophy hunting. And the unfortunate fans were duped. We we were duped. Okay, we we were fooled into thinking that if we signed this petition and stopped the show from going on, stop the Beach Boys, that we would ban hunting. Trophy hunting would come to an end, or something. I don't know. What, right. I don't know what it is that the idea was. Well, I think it's two different it, things it, that are being kind of jumbled up here. So one one thing that was put forward was was banning the Beach Boys, like stop spending money on the Beach Boys, stop going to see their concerts, stop buying their mm-hmm. records, etc. And then also stopping trophy hunting, which are two completely different things and are independent of each have, other. Right. That's that's right. They have nothing to do with right. one another. So and that's what I was confused about. Um, and I think that was like a, it is definitely something that um, was left ambiguous um, for a reason. Um, that That being said, I mean, 
do you think and this is and this is a tough question but do you think that mike seriously did not have a choice whether or not he could play or or not play this concert yes you think he 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 did not have a choice that's that is my feeling and i i can tell you why off the record i just uh, i know these are the questions that i'm gonna get yeah um by having your you on the show let's let's okay let's yeah let's stay on the record here right he was in a rock in a hard place catch 22 perfect example of catch 22 if he if he came out publicly and said i'm against trophy hunting but i look forward to doing this show how do you think the people at that show are going to feel? Right. Now, maybe all of us who are against trophy hunting, we say, we don't care how they feel. Who cares? They're awful people. Well, not everybody at that event. I, I don't know. I, I can't say this factually one way or the other. We can't say that each and every individual at that event is a trophy hunter. Maybe they are. I, I don't know. But the, the point of Mike being booked for that gig was he is a performer. He is an entertainer. That's what he does for a living. Now, a lot of people are upset. Well, can he have just canceled that one gig? It's not as though he can't go out. I mean, look at all the tour dates he's got. It's not as though he sees, you know, that's going to hurt his hurt the brand. It's He's still going to have plenty of gigs. Well, he's he's a professional. And again, as an individual, Mike is in not support, but he played the show. So does that mean he's endorsing it? I, I've not seen a quote from him or anybody in that band where they said, we support trophy hunting. So I know it's hard to kind of go, well, okay, couldn't he have canceled the gig? I get it. I get it. I guess he could have. But this, again, is the son of the president, who nobody wants to piss off. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that played into it. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But that's a reality. That's the reality of the world we live in today. Nobody wants to piss off Donald Trump. And I don't and I'm not saying that's the reason because I don't know the reason. I just know it what what I do know and what we all know is it was booked and Mike performed it. But uh you know, in that little window of time, those 72 hours from the point of where it first came across Brian Fan's radar, it became it became something other than band trophy hunting. And and Brian, this is the other thing. Not only has Brian never taken a political stance on anything when has brian ever been angry when has brian ever been uh you know like put in this type of position and it's because we live in the world today where it's instant gratification it's everything is instant because it's the internet that it became brian disavows and brian you know the boycott got it that's okay that I'm sure that that title sold enough clicks for those websites for them to get the clicks they needed to bring advert you know to get more advertisers on their websites and good for them, whether it was uh, Rollingstone.com or whoever it was, because that was the goal. Because what story in the Beach Boys history is the most popular story? It's Brian Wilson against Mike Love, right? And if you can get that story up in your headlines. You're going to get clicks. And see, so my heart in this, my mind in this, isn't just about how Mike was affected. It's how it affects all of them. If you expect your 
your your heroes to be perfect, you're in for a really, really upsetting time. They're not. They're just folks like you and me, but their careers are entertainment. That's what they do. If, if Mike had canceled that show, then what? Uh, would the fans be saying, okay, I'll go start buying their records again. I'm not going to boycott buying records. I'm not going to point. I'm not going to. Now I can go see Mike in concert because he canceled that one show. Am I can, it, I'm just going to play this out here. So as a fan, uh, do I care about trophy hunting? I'm against it. I don't like the idea, but I'll go see Mike in concert again. So this is, as you said, this is two different things, but uh, it's not as simple. And I've seen fans write this. It's not as simple as Mike's in it for the money because he's been, and, and yes, I will agree with the fans when it comes to his 1988 rock and roll hall of fame induction speech (laughs) is left a lot to be desired. But you know, when he released his book in 2016, he went there to the rock and roll hall of fame, did a Q and a session they welcomed his welcomed him back with open arms, so it was just a really kind of lovely situation. Because during the Q and A, they asked him about that, and he apologized, and he apologizes in his book. You know, but but people, a lot of people don't care. They would rather be mad at him than to take a step back or not take a step back, become more engaged with the reality of things as they happened. Because it's like they want their beliefs to be more important than the reality of the situation itself. And I'm not talking about trophy hunting here. I'm talking about fans who believe that if you like Brian, you can't possibly like Mike. I, I hope that if the fans have learned anything in this recent situation that nothing will stop love for music. And if you're letting something like this stop love for music, I just don't know how, how deep the, that connection is for those individuals. It's hard to say. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to share your opinion on this matter, David. It's something that I have a hard time keeping up with and engaging in, especially because I have so much love for these guys as a fan, and your perspective is a bit different than most. Um, But I encourage everyone to check out David's publication, Endless Summer Quarterly. I'm sure there's a new issue in the works, yeah? It's almost almost done. It's got Brian on the cover. Um, Brian talks about Nick Walusko, uh, the Brian Wilson Scholarship uh, that David Leaf put together, and David's involved in that discussion. And Brian also kind of talks about the Brian Wilson documentary Long Promised Road. So all that's coming up. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Um, We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, let's get into some emails. This first one is from Drew Hall. Hey, Wyatt, I've been meaning to send this for a while. Really enjoyed y'all's concert in Alexander City. 
The costume change between sets was a nice touch. I also thought the historical sound bites sprinkled in during the show were great. I appreciate you and Paul taking the time to talk to me after the concert. Very kind of you. I hope you guys can make it back to Huntsville sometime. I love the podcast. It's very interesting. Just found it in December. Trying hard to catch up. Made it to the first Pet Sounds episode today. Based on your comments on the podcast, I've listened to MIU again a couple of times. Trying to become one with it. Looking forward to the MIU episode. I like it, just not high on my list. Maybe a suggestion for Sale on Radio. Beach Boys songs with girls in the title. Once I bought all their albums and listened to them all a couple of times and created a playlist like that. Side one, if you will, where all the songs with a girl's name in it, Wendy, Cindy, Caroline, etc. Side two had types of girls in the title. Surfer girl, girl from New York City, etc. Anyway, just a thought. Keep sailing and I'll keep listening. Drew Hall. Well, thanks, Drew. And that's a great idea for a radio show, and I think that would be fun for the Patreon page, uh, which I now see you are a member of, so thank you very much, as well as James Shelton and Owen Edwards. Supporting the show through the Patreon keeps us advertisement-free, and it also is a way to get more content in between episodes. Just head to patreon.com slash on and check it all out. It was nice meeting you down in Alabama, and I hope to see you again, and thanks very much for listening, and just remember... MIU isn't for everyone, but it is an acquired taste, so you just got to keep at it. If you don't know, I play bass and sing in a Beach Boys tribute. That's what Drew was referring to. We are called Sail On, and we try our hardest to accurately portray these tunes with the dignity and reverence they deserve, and I'm really proud of what we've been able to put together. We have a few shows next week, starting Friday in Washington State, moving through to Montana, so if you're interested, please check our tour dates at sailonsounds.com slash tour. And I'd love to meet some of you guys if we're in your neck of the woods. I like coffee, I like beer, I like all types of adult beverages, and um, I like talking Beach Boys. So if you like those things too, give me a shout. Next email is from Chris Menaghini. Hey guys, my name is Chris and I'm a huge Beach Boys fan. I discovered your podcast and I'm absolutely loving it. I never knew there was someone out there who loves this group as much as I do. I'm not going to lie. I nerded out when I found this podcast. I'm only a few episodes in and I've learned so much new content just from listening. My dad got me into the group and he was telling me how he saw them in San Diego in the early 70s. I was able to see the group back in 2012 during their 50th anniversary tour in Chicago and I've been hooked ever since. I also had the honor of meeting Brian, Al, and Blondie last year and again this year. Thanks for all the content. I'm absolutely loving it. Keep up the good work, Chris. Well, thank you, Chris. You wrote a while back, and I'm sorry it took me so long to get to your email. I really do read and appreciate all of these, but I uh, can only get to so many on the air. So thank you very much for listening, and I hope to catch you up there in the Midwest sometime. Uh, last up is a message from Mariela Rosas. Hey guys, I'm still working through the episodes and I thoroughly enjoy each one. It's so exciting to find that there are so many other people with a passion for the Beach Boys. Usually when people ask me that oh-so-common question, who is your favorite band? And I earnestly reply, the Beach Boys. They seem a bit shocked. In a way, I understand their surprise. There's not a lot in my background or upbringing, aside from growing up in California, that predisposes me to loving their music. I'm hearing in a lot of these listener emails that most fans either were young when the Beach Boys were releasing their major albums or their parents listened to them when they were growing up. I was raised in a very traditional Mexican household, so I grew up listening to Corridos, Mariachi, and Banda. 
The only time I distinctly recall hearing the Beach Boys in my childhood was when Surfing USA was used in a bizarre production of The Wizard of Oz that I was a part of. Of course, I did not grow up in a vacuum. I was aware of American pop culture and therefore the Beach Boys. It wasn't until the spring of 2016 that I genuinely heard my first Beach Boys song. I was working at my post-grad job in microbiology lab, and we were listening to one of those curated Spotify playlists. I believe it was called Have a Great Day. As I was working at the bench, a silvery voice burst forth from the single speaker in the lab. I, I love the colorful clothes you wear. It was backed by what could have easily been confused for heaven's own orchestral arrangement. I recall freezing in place and gripping my pipette tightly as the song shifted from verse to chorus. The beautiful falsetto fluttering in the air around me, it felt like I was hearing in full technicolor. Throughout, I was resisting the urge to drop what I was just doing and drift away. Suddenly, like a long-awaited wake-up call, the collective climactic ah, and that was it. It was as if my soul had inadvertently connected to the Bluetooth speaker and was blasting my internal soundtrack. I was 24 at the time, and I was pretty open to a vast array of music, but never, never had I experienced a sound that felt so utterly familiar. And I don't know how else to phrase it, but correct. On the drive home that evening, I just listened to Good Vibrations on repeat. It must have played eight times or so. Since, I have made my way through their discography, found new favorites, and have been to see Brian perform twice. But still, the sheer elation of hearing Good Vibrations for the first time is one of the most significant moments of my life. I haven't been able to explain that to anyone in person without sounding like a complete crazy person. I feel if anyone could understand, it would be you and your audience. That's why I'm sharing that with you. To finish up, I want to say that I really appreciate the podcast. I'm learning so much. I hope you really keep doing the show for the foreseeable future. And if you ever make it out to California, I will be there. Thank you so much, and I'm sorry for the lengthy email. I really appreciate that email, and I love that story. And uh, Mariella, I hope you're tuning in today because we are going to be talking about your favorite song, continuing on from last time. Um, but before we get to that, I just wanted to say, yeah, we're going to be out in California, so check out the tour dates. Um, would love to meet you. Um, I had a similar moment when I first heard Till I Die. I was sitting in my car. I was, I think I was 16, and I had just dropped off um, my girlfriend at the time at her house, and I just sat in the car until I Die was playing, and I never really connected to it before, but when it got to that outro part, I just kind of went into a trance, and I found myself in tears, and I didn't understand why. It was the first time music had ever affected me like that, and um, it's very similar to a lot of other people that listen to this podcast and share their stories. Um, there's something spiritual and next level about this music, and it's just full of love, and um, that's why I'm here doing this today, so... Thank you guys for joining me on this journey. We left off last time at the end of May in 1966 as Brian Wilson was continuing to build his pocket symphony brick by brick at various studios around L.A. with the Wrecking Crew. After about three months and countless hours of session work, they still only had about half of what we would hear on the final single edit of Good Vibrations. 
On June 2nd, Brian Wilson was back at Western Recorders at 9 a.m. to continue these recordings with a new bridge and a new chorus section. Just for now, I'm getting it for sound. Uh, let's let Billy do eight bars. That's two rounds, and then we're all in, okay? Here we go. The AFM contract was labeled with the title Inspiration, which might represent a new determination to finish the song or maybe something else entirely. We don't really know, but uh, there doesn't seem to be any doubt that the tune is still called Good Vibrations and the tape box is labeled accordingly. Led by Bill Pittman this time on the electric six-string fuzz bass, this upbeat version of the bridge was the first to feature this new progression of F, G minor, C, which would carry over into the final version of the bridge. That's Brian on tack piano and brother Carl on electric guitar, along with Don Randy on harpsichord and Hal Blaine on the drums. Chorus sections really didn't change much here. Gone are the fuzz bass, kazoo, and bass harmonica, as now just the essentials remain. After the band was finished, Brian and Hal stayed behind to add tambourine and extra drum fills. He never stopped overseeing things from the booth, but it was starting to become almost as common to find Brian on the studio floor playing with the wrecking crew and company, moving into the latter half of 1966. That's one area where Smile departs from Pet Sounds, back to the tradition of earlier Beach Boys records. It's presumably during this that Brian pulled in a favor from an observing Van Dyke Parks and had him add the second tack piano part to the May 4th bridge. You, you had me play that bridge in, in uh, Good Vibrations. You told me to put the tack piano thing, yeah. you taught me those notes and asked me to I, play I did, I remember, yeah. I remember. How That's you... my first impression of, a, you know, when you just had, what was, and let's do that. What was that section, how's that go? Yeah. Why, why is everything in, the, in a, a sharp key? Well, I mean, why so many black keys? That, I could never figure out what you were playing because... Well, actually, the vibration was like in a... Uh... Yeah, you're right, a black yeah. key. F-sharp, yeah. F-sharp. Right. Yeah. So these inspiration sections would be mixed down to mono and spliced into the working final track and very nearly made it out into the world as the single four months later. Brian made only one last-minute reconfiguration to the edit in September with a newly recorded bridge section. So here's a quick rundown of where we are at this point. The verses from February 17th, the choruses from June 2nd, bridge 1 from May 4th, bridge 2 from June 2nd, and bridge 3 and fade chorus from May 27th. Yes, I know it's confusing. Just stick with me. It's notable that, besides the aforementioned Pet Sounds era verses, all of the song's other basic track components were recorded in the very same room, Western Studio 3. Good Vibrations is ambitious for having even one studio jump via tape splicing. It's just not quite the location-hopping extravaganza music historians often make it out to be in retrospect. The vocals added at CBS offer a third site to name-check, but Sunset Sound ultimately didn't factor into the endgame. All right, so Jesse Ehrlich, who played cello, was called to the studio by the suggestion of either Carl 
or Van Dyke Parks. Van Dyke maintains it was his idea, while Brian credits Carl with the choice of instrumentation. And he credits himself with the use of arrangement. Not worth getting into, really, but I, I think it's a mixture of both, with Carl proposing they try a cello, and Van Dyke translating that to both the musician they use and the suggestion of playing triplets on the root notes. It should be noted that the cello was overdubbed to the whole edited mono track, not individual sections. The foundation of both choruses may be a copy and paste job, but you're hearing a different cello performance every time. The same applies to the eventual theremin and vocal overdubs. Of course, there is some speculation about where the cello was recorded, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. We are moving right along. Okay, so June 4th, Pet Sounds hits the Billboard chart at an underwhelming number 49. Beach Boys concert promoter Fred Vale leaves the group. But the boys trudge on. They begin a tour in promotion of their newly released album on the East Coast, including a date at Yankee Stadium with Ray Charles, The Birds, Stevie Wonder, and The Cow Sills. Let's go back to Western Studios on June 12th. Finally, 10 days later, Paul Tanner is back to overdub his faithful Electro Theremin. The same riff on each chorus that he'd been hired to play in every other session before this one. The decision to overdub the theremin rather than play it live with the band allowed Brian extra control and emphasis in the mix, promoting it to a key feature of the arrangement. The synergy between the cello and the theremin is a huge part of what gives the track its edge. This was a conscious decision by Brian. All right, so we must be on to vocals now, right? No, no, we're not. Of course not. We're back at Western four days later to completely redo the track once again. Oh <laughs> boy. While each consecutive version of Good Vibrations slightly revised and improved upon the last, Brian was now starting over from scratch. The structure is completely different now, too. No bridge section at all, just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, tag with a short four bar intro. The chorus isn't what we're used to. It's now been swapped for the music material of the old bridge, and the iconic walking bass line is relegated to a short intro piece, although it probably would still be used as a sung vocal melody. It's slowing down, I don't know. Staccato, uh, Mike. So you know that footage in the studio that we've seen of Good Vibrations? That was on this day. During the session, the film crew occupied the studio to shoot a potential promo video for the song. So Brian rehearsed the musicians while they shot, uh, but he let them know that once they started tracking, they were not going to be allowed to shoot. Uh, while we're making the takes, Bob, we won't be able to have that uh, camera going. Now here's the take, a little bit like this. One, let's keep this pace. One, two, one, two, three. Uh, we have an intro to start with. Here. The verses here are much more ominous and less poppy, with an eerie delay hanging over most of the instruments. Mike Melvoin and Al Delory play the chords, while the three basses play off each other.
So that's Tommy Morgan and Paul Tanner on bass harmonica and electrotheremin. Drums and tambourine overdubbed by Hal and Brian. And then a second overdub consisting of Steve Douglas on soprano sax, including that little wailing verse line you hear. Jim Horn on clarinet and Jay Migliori on bass clarinet. For part two, the chord progression is the same as the second bridge in Inspiration, but this time in F-sharp. This section acts as the finale of the track, finally resolving the key. Brian instructs the group to come in gradually, and the track builds and repeats until the fade. May we do this? Uh, four bars, organ and fuzz tone. The next four will be piano and Al Delory. The next four will be basses. And the next four, then after that, next four will be uh, the, those two. So you're at what, 12? Right. On the 13th bar, you're in. On the what? On the uh, 9th, is the bass in the 9th? Bass in on the 9th, right. I mean, rather, 5th uh, bar will be Delore and Steve. Ninth bar will be the basses. And on the, uh, I guess, 13th will be the other ones. All right, here we go. Let's try that bit. Right away. Yeah. One, two, one, two, three. That sounds great to me, but two days later, Brian was back at Western to once again completely remake Good Vibrations. This time the structure is basically the same, but there's a slight difference in the verse. This time the chordal instruments and bass instruments kind of switch roles here. Once again, the song is recorded in two parts. Part one consists of two verses and choruses, while part two is the tag. Brian initially observes from the booth before joining the group on harpsichord, and Carl plays the riff on electric guitar. In the chorus, Carol Kay and Bill Pittman enter on bass with a similar feel to the previous version. The familiar theremin riff is now back, along with Tommy Morgan on bass harmonica. Part two is also similar to the previous session, with the same chords, same tempo, and similar arrangement. 
Our very own crew member John Brody did a nice mock-up on the melodica to show what this section would sound like with the new melody. So get this. While at the studio, Brian hears an API news report that either Al or Bruce has been involved in an accident on the East Coast. We have audio of this. I could take on this. One of our group got in a bad accident. And we, it's on the API, and uh, that's why it's a hangout. It's not, it's not Mike, Mike or Dennis or Carl, right? right? It's either Bruce or Earl. We can't find out. They're both okay? Well, well one of them got in an accident, accident and, and, right. but it was a hype. Anyway, it's, uh, it's in the East Coast. It's in the uh, news from the API, I guess. And uh, they, everybody's calling back, you know, wondering what happened. Well, it must have been a process. Uh, okay, let's make it take one. Good vibrations. What is going on here? Brian just goes back to work like nothing happened. Anyway, I thought that was crazy. We never heard about this before. What's going on? I want to know what happened to Bruce and or Al. Is this another Beach Boys conspiracy? Did Al or Bruce or both get replaced by phony versions? I don't know, man. It seems fishy to me. You guys need to look into this and get back to me. Man, oh man. This feels like that Mitch Hedberg joke. Like, how can you record at a time like this? Who can eat at a time like this? People are missing. Anyway, the Beach Boys continued to play shows, and... Um, on the 24th and 25th of June, they played two summer spectacular shows in San Francisco and L.A., along with The Love and Spoonful, Chad and Jeremy, Percy Sledge, The Outsiders, The Leaves, Sir Douglas Quintet, Jefferson Airplane, The Birds, The Sunrays, and Neil Diamond. What a lineup. God, that's a lot of bands. Ralph J. Gleason wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle, The Beach Boys are a very special thing. Their audience response was at least as great as the Love and Spoonfuls, but they also inspired distaste, and many left when they were on stage. Personally, I can take them on record, but in person, I find them unbearable. That is such a strange quote. He started off by saying they're a special thing. What a weirdo. Anyway, on June 27th, Pet Sounds was released in the UK to commercial and critical acclaim. The band continued their tour through the U.S. in the summer months, including stints with Sir Douglas Quintet, Yesterday's Children, and The Association. The Best of the Beach Boys album was released on July 5th, amidst very little Capitol Records promotion for Pet Sounds. It does outsell the new album, reaching number 8 on the Billboard charts, and it soon goes gold. Brian is upset by this because he sees it as evidence that Capitol has no faith in him and his new musical direction. 
On July 18th, the Wouldn't It Be Nice and God Only Knows single was released in the U.S., and it is a big hit worldwide. Brian enters the studio on August 3rd to begin tracking a new song called Wooden Chimes, but we will get to that at a later date, don't worry. On August 8th, Brian canceled a last-minute business trip to Europe and accepted an invitation to the Rolling Stones recording session at RCA, where they're mixing their newest album, Between the Buttons. Brian recalls, Just before Good Vibrations, I heard the Rolling Stones track, My Obsession. I was invited to hear their dub down, and their producer, Lou Adler, gave me some marijuana. It wiped me out so much that I didn't know where the door was to get out of the studio. I was just standing there saying, What is this? Hey, play that again. And they'd say, No, we can't. It's playing now. And I'd go, Oh, I see. It was really quite an event to be there. Let's jump ahead to August 20th at Studio A at Columbia. Two vocal sessions for the original edited version took place in late August, sometime between August 20th and 28th. We don't have the exact dates, but we know that they were both filmed apparently at the instigation of the band. Based on the circulating footage, we can gather that the work for the first session included Mike's chorus bass vocals and the oom bop bops by the other five members simultaneously on separate mics. Well, Mike came over to my house. And I had this melody that went boom, 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 boom. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. It was kind of an R&B thing, you know? And so he goes, wait a minute, keep going. He goes, I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitation. And we were blasted out. We both were blown away. They also did the Oz and Mike's What a Sensation vocal line from the first bridge simultaneously. And then on the second session, none of the results which actually made it into the single, they did uh, the lead verse line sung by Dennis. Footage exists, but there is no audio, unfortunately. Would be really awesome to hear that. The original chorus, good, 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 good vibrations vocals, which at this stage were a two-part harmony with Brian and Al and then the rest of the group underneath doing some dumb, dumb, dumbs. Vocals for the unused fuzz bass bridge, Brian and Al singing lead, and the humby dom chant in five-part harmony by the whole group. And then the Rarities alternate version was probably mixed down on this day. I'm picking up vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm backing up the second late August vocal session had to have taken place before the 28th. Because on that day, Brian played his original mono mix to Paul McCartney and George Harrison at a party held at Derek Taylor's house. You know, I remember coming over here, and uh, there was this guy, Derek Taylor, yeah. who was our publicity guy, and he was working in L.A. after he'd left us, and he uh, had something to do with Brian. Yeah. And I remember going over to Derek's house one night and uh, getting a bit stimulated. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and... Uh, so we're, we're loving it. Brian comes over and he's got these shades on. Yeah. And he's, you know, he was, he, he was, he'd gone into his sort of nervous phase. A nervous is a nice word. It's a diplomatic you know, word. Yeah. I mean, uh, but 
anyway, he was he was still a little bit. He had these shades on. He said, oh, do, you, "Do you mind if I keep these shades on, man?" I said, "Brian, it's your life, baby. You keep the shades. I love those shades. They look great." Anyways, do you mind if I play you a record? I go now. That'd be great. He plays good vibrations, like you've never heard it before. Yeah. And you're in the room with Brian, yeah. and he puts it on. I'm all right. You know, that was the first time you heard magic. Yeah. So, we're making some progress here. We're back at Western on September 1st, and they're doing the final instrumental tracking session for the song, replacing the earlier fuzz-based bridge with the new slow organ version that we're all familiar with. They tried out two slightly different arrangements of the session. The first one starts with the Hammond B3, and it's played by Dennis, nonetheless. Guys, I didn't know I was such a cast on the organ. That's Hal Blaine keeping the beat with a slapstick and then adding castanets. Then there's Carl strumming an electric 12-string guitar that's mic'd up on the strings of the guitar. The amp's in the distance. Lyle Ritz playing the upright bass, Brian pounding the low notes of the piano, and then Van Dyke Parks seemingly on the floor underneath Dennis playing the organ bass pedals, according to his own recollections and a few faint calls of his name in the studio. And after 14 takes, Brian eventually decided it just wasn't working, so he reworked it. Dennis and Lyle remain, but Brian and Van Dyke are now gone. Tommy Morgan now plays a harmonica line over the top, and Hal and Carl shake jingle sticks. Columbia Studios, September 12th. Following a re-edit of the backing track with the new bridge, Brian both expanded and revised the established vocal arrangement. At some point prior to this, he'd asked Van Dyke Parks to pin lyrics. Van declined, so while driving to the session, Mike dictated a new set of verses to his wife to replace Tony's. That's the story he's told a million times, of course. Dennis was suffering from laryngitis at the time, so instead, Carl was given the lead vocal with Brian sneakily punching in for I hear the sound of a and when I look. This wasn't a range problem. Carl could easily sing those notes. Brian just probably thought he could handle them better. Dennis doesn't appear on any of the vocals recorded on this session. Lose my eye. She's somehow closer now. Softly smile. I know she must be kind. The final words of Mike's second verse, she goes with me to a blossom world we find, were wiped to emphasize the bass line, according to Brian at least. The earlier good, good, good vocals in the chorus, along with the accompanying scat parts, were erased and replaced, now transformed into a streamlined five-part harmony arrangement. Good, 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 good vibration. 
To the first bridge, Mike and Brian's solo lead lines were added. I don't know where, but she sends me there. And oh my my, what an elation. I don't know where, but she sends me there. The group then added some chant-like humby-dum vocals to the revised organ bridge section. But Brian didn't keep these, or the bass harmonica, when mixing the section down. According to Bruce, he took them out because it wasn't subtle enough. Once it was stripped of its extra parts, Brian and Mike added their lead vocals, at first in unison before Brian repeats the theme an octave higher and Mike moves to a harmony part. Gotta keep those love and good vibrations a happening with her. Gotta keep those love and good vibrations a happening with her. Gotta keep those love and good Vibrations are happening with her. Brian claims this section was inspired by American composer Stephen Foster. The refrain was sung all the way to the end of the section, but during mixdown, Brian decided to fade out the vocals prematurely and highlight the harmonica as a solo piece until that huge vocal chord strikes at the end just before the third chorus. As for the voices on the final bridge before the fade, we've got Bruce on the top, and then Al comes in, and then Brian. Smile cover and booklet artist Frank Holmes recalled being a visitor at a Good Vibrations vocal session, standing in the hall with Dennis Wilson and Terry Melcher. This was probably the one. Okay, we're almost there, boys and girls. Stay with me. Wednesday, September 21st, Columbia Studios once again. Brian calls up Paul Tanner to once again replace his electro theremin, this time more restrained and with less echo. No playing in the first bridge or third chorus. During mixdown, Brian dropped the fader on the backing track in the first two bars of the fade, leaving only a brief cello and theremin solo. And that's it. After seven months, $50,000, and hundreds of hours in four different studios, Good Vibrations was finished. I, I love the colorful clothes you wear And the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a gentle on the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm picking up good, good vibrations Oh, 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 oh,
somehow closer now Softly smile, I know she must be kind create something truly great, I think the ends justify the means. And this is a prime example of that. Brian had a vision, and he wouldn't compromise it for anything. It's one of the most ambitious recordings of all time, and continues to captivate and inspire new generations of Beach Boys fans to this day. It's a marvel of recording technique, songwriting, arranging, and performing. And it truly could be the pinnacle of Brian Wilson's career as a producer. To me, this is pop music perfection. It's a strong 10 out of 10. Okay, so the definitive list of musicians on the final single edit. Brian Wilson, vocals, Pat Piano, tambourine, Carl Wilson, vocals, electric guitar, jingle stick, electric telescreen, Dennis Wilson, vocal, organ, Mike Love, vocals, Al Jardine, vocals, Bruce Johnson, vocals, Tony Asher, sleigh bells, Hal Blaine, drums, jingle stick, Jimmy Vaughn, upright bass, Frank Cap, Bongos, tambourine, Al Casey, electric guitar, Gary Cole, electric guitar, Gary Coleman, sleigh bells, Steve Douglas, flute, tambourine, Jesse Ehrlich, cello, Jim Gordon, drums, sleigh bells, Bill Green, clarinet, bass saxophone, Jim Horn, piccolo, Clive Johnson, piccolo, Larry Nectel, organ, Al Delory, tack piano, Carrie Belcher, tambourine, Mike Melvoin, tack piano, Jay McLeory, flute, Tommy Gordon, bass harmonica, Jaw Harder, dramatic harmonica, Van Dyke Parks, tack piano, Bill Pittman, electric six string bass, Ray Bullman, electric bass, Don Randy, the single was released on October 10th on Capitol Records, 
and backed with Let's Go Away for a While. Capitol execs were worried that the lyrics contained psychedelic overtones, and Brian was accused of having based the song's production on his LSD experiences. They were correct, of course. Brian said, I made good vibrations on drugs. I used drugs to make that. I learned how to function behind drugs, and it improved my brain. It made me more rooted in my sanity. To promote the single, a music video was shot, which features the group at a fire station, sliding down the pole and roaming the streets of L.A. in a fashion comparable to the Monkees. The song was the group's third number one hit after I Get Around and Help Me Rhonda. It sold over 230,000 copies within the first four days of release and quickly became their first million-selling single. Good Vibrations received a Grammy nomination for Best Vocal Group Performance and was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1994. The song was voted number one in Mojo's Top 100 Records of All Time and number six on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. The success of Good Vibrations also served as a blank check of sorts to Brian Wilson and his next ambitious project. With seemingly endless resources at his disposal, he was now free to utilize these new techniques to harness his creative and ambitious collaborations with writing partner Van Dyke Parks. But who is Van Dyke Parks anyway? Well, we'll find out next time on the Salem Podcast. Shout out to Will and John of The Crew for helping out with the sessionography. Thanks to Will C. for the great music, as always. And thanks to David Beard for joining me today. Thanks to Kim Edwards. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you're interested in writing into the show, that's saleonpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send me a voicemail at 615-606-3887. Tell me about your favorite smile story. I hope you guys enjoyed everything today. I'm excited about where we're headed. Keep those good vibrations happening with you. And sail on, sailors.